Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays in the 7 o'clock hour for the weekly update at JM in the AM. Mr. Holine, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Sound great. Thank you. Ready for opera. Thank you. People don't realize that for, <laughs> that for a regular person, this is fantastic. And that normally I just sound so much better than the average. They just don't get it, Mal. I'm glad you get it. Thank you so much. Anyway. Well, I relate having gotten a little bit of the same thing. So, Like the whole I country, huh? Like everybody else, yeah. Seems like, style. seems like the entire United States of America has the same symptoms. Um, all right, I'm going to start with... Um, uh, with the following, and that is that the United States Navy has seized arms from Iran at the same time. This is a headline in today's Hamodia. Uh, at the same time that nuclear talks are scheduled to resume this coming Monday, what do you make of this latest news story? Well, there's a regular uh, practice of the United States monitoring the shipping that goes on in the Persian Gulf. This was a stateless fishing vessel that, uh, vessel that was uh, carrying 1,400 Kalashnikov-style rifles and about a quarter million rounds of ammunition and being taken probably to the Houthis in in Yemen. Um, so the United States seized them because it's a violation of the U.N. Security Council resolution. And the um, uh, this practice, though, is going on all the time, that Iran is providing weapons there, as they are in Syria and Israel's actions in uh, to, to try to prevent... Uh, more and more sophisticated weapons from get, getting to Hezbollah or to the uh, groups inside uh, Syria backed by Iran. And uh, it's part of, of uh, the problem that everybody focuses just on the nuclear program, as serious as it is, uh, but doesn't look at the mischief and the destabilizing activities of Iran in the in the region. We know that they supplied, uh, I think this is the 300 drones now in the hands of Hezbollah. These are offensive drones. These can carry weapons. These can be used, uh, as you know, for a a specific strike or for carrying weapons across the border. We've seen drones being used. So Iran, um, both at the Vienna talks, seems to to be uh, resistant to any progress. They are in talks with the Russians and the Turks over over, uh, Syria. They are moving ahead in other regional things, and you see how some of the Gulf states are reaching out to Iran, and a lot of it has to do with a lack of confidence in where the West, including the U.S., is going to come out. You just described to us how these shipments are undertaken and uh, the way that they try to get these to other members of the enemy. How, how often are these types of routes intercepted, or is this one few and far between? They're not few, um, and the, it depends sometimes, you know, how, how effective our presence is there in monitoring it. Also, you have others there in the Gulf, the ships of the other countries that try to monitor it as well, but it's the United States that actually has to do the interception. Israel has struck at some of the ships, as you know. There have been drone and other both remote and direct uh, interventions. Uh, but these things uh, are, are going on, on all the time. You know, Yemen gets almost no attention, and the focus is always upon attacking Saudi Arabia uh, and their activities there and defending their country as they see it. But uh, the number of attacks this year doubled from last year against Saudi Arabia. It, it comes down to about 78 a month 
uh, where they are attacking. And, and this is part of the story of Iran that is so important to be told. But, you know, people are not uh, focusing on the nefarious activities. And now they're facing elections. They face uh, other choices. You see the, the delay tactics. They're starting the talks again on the 27th. Uh, and they had an interesting incident where the ambassador, the special envoy of Iran to the Houthis, who the Houthis didn't like because he wasn't consulting with them, uh, was sent back home through a special flight from the Iraqi range because he had COVID and died the next day, although he seemed perfectly healthy when he left. And the you know at first there was an attempt to try to portray him as really being somebody else, and because they wanted to take the pressure off uh, the other person who was a well-known terrorist and said to have been and, and is on the Interpol list. Um, so they try to pull a fast one and say that he really has a dual identity, which quickly dissipated because he, he was the ambassador of Irulu and that's all. Uh, but you see that they manipulate every situation. Uh, they're doing a massive military drill in southern Iran today, and they've revealed a new tack a tank, uh, the Karad uh, uh, tank, which is manufactured in Iran, and they do these periodically as a message. It's, it also shows that this is their priority. You would think that their low level of trustworthiness that they're displaying would have an effect on those who are sitting at the table with them. Right. And, and I think you see the frustration in Dick Sullivan's comments, some of the others in Israel and elsewhere, that uh, the talks so far haven't moved and that they had no intention of moving. In fact, if you look at the new budget that was submitted this week by Iran, by President Raisi, um, it, it would indicate, according to the experts, that they don't expect a deal, that the, the, the uh, budget reflects the continuation of the situation as it is, which means the sanctions, etc. Uh, the economy is in total ruins, and the opportunity now to put more pressure on exists, and if we back off, and even the less-for-less less deal, that they get you know, $15 billion instead of $100 billion, it is, it is a mistake. Now is the time that pressure should be on. We should be demanding it. You see the Europeans, by the way, finally coming around, and expressing frustration and and uh, appearing to back Israel more, though we never know from day to day whether that would, in fact, uh, if that would be the case. And one of the things that's come up, it's interesting, you know, because everybody speculates about how much time we know, and you see the admissions by Iran about the level of enrichment, that they're going to 20% to 60%, saying that they'll get to 90%, which is weapons grade. But also... Uh, that uh, they can deliver it without having to wait until they have the ballistic missile and and affixing the bomb. You can create a bomb and carry it on an F-16. And it turns out that A.Q. Khan, who was the father in Pakistan of their nuclear program, said this uh, years ago, when he died a couple years ago, um, and he, uh, he shared the nuclear information with Iran and with others, that the the um, ability to take a smaller weapon on an F-16 and just drop it someplace uh, changes again the the schedules that everybody looks at and saying, well, it'll take them a year, two years. The speculation is not relevant to reality. It's funny. Their greatest tactic is delay, and they're great at it. That's the <laughs> that's the whole game, and exactly, and everyone just keeps falling for it. It's amazing. 
And and now we see that there's a new railroad uh, freight train railroad between Islamabad, Pakistan, Tehran, and Istanbul in Turkey. Uh, we see you know that that they move ahead on some of the regional uh, projects, putting pressure on neighbors, etc. And uh, you know, denying their own people the most fundamental things: water, jobs, food, and the uh, international community doesn't care about the what the suffering and the persecution of certain uh, of the ethnic groups within Iran. <laughs> the, the delays work for the international community when it comes to negotiation, and then they go ahead and delay their own people to get basic essentials, which is a whole other level of nerve. Um, let's go for a second to uh, everyone's favorite topic, and that's what's going on in Israel regarding coronavirus. When you see Italy and you see uh, uh, France basically taking a new approach of encouraging people to live with it, encouraging people to keep the uh, tourism pipeline open, uh, even you know during this spike and during this new variant, um, what does that say about Israel, who will have none of that and uh, will continue to keep its borders shut? And actually, at the beginning of this week, turned the U.S into a quote-unquote red country in this process? It's a very complicated question. As you know, we've discussed it um, and helping people who had really emergency cases to get in. Um, but, the uh, you know, how can we second-guess on a thing like this? Nobody knows what works, what doesn't work. The fact is that people are not dying, that this virus doesn't appear to be as deep. It's broader and the hope is that you get her immunity if enough if it goes fast enough and not serious enough they believe that it uh, it it can uh, die out on, on its own you know people don't understand these viruses are very have some sort of an intelligence some ability because they want to survive and and what we have to do uh, I, I went to an event where every precaution in the world was taken for weeks beforehand and yet a lot of people got sick, and I think we have to still take that into account. Thank you. You see, I got it from you over the phone. And, I'll think so, um, uh, so I was trying to talk to save you, but Thank you. it didn't help. <laughs> Interesting, I'll tell you. And the um, and, and obviously, I mean, not that this has to be stated, but why not put it out there? Uh, aside from these emergency situations right now, because of the volume of people in this country that are either, te- either testing positive or have symptoms of some type, whether it's COVID or not, uh, no one's going to even start discussing reopening Israel. No one's even going to bring this to the forefront. Again, very frustrating for those who are desperate to get in for both good reasons and bad reasons. Uh, but otherwise, it looks like, you know, get re- get ready for the long haul, right? I mean, there's no way two weeks from now we're talking about regulations uh, that will allow for entry into Israel. I don't know if it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I I, I don't think that they can keep it sealed. You know, in, uh, <laughs> interminably. It's, it's the cost is amazing to the to the various sectors that are involved. Tourism um, is an obvious one, but you don't think about the supplies and all the people you know, who are secondary and tertiary in terms of that industry. Let alone, uh, I have a lot of friends you know, in, in high-tech and others who are not able to consummate deals because they, they couldn't get out or they're afraid of not being able to get back. And I think, you know, it has a lot of ramifications. But precaution should not be condemned. 
And I think that you know some of the language that is being used by very well-meaning and wonderful people isn't temperate to, to say that it's a moral disgrace to, to use terminology uh, like that and that it's going to sever the ties. I think it makes people sit back and begin to appreciate Israel more um, that the um, you know that's something we took for granted that we could just go and come and now people I think feel. The, how important Israel is in their lives and to them. Well, I will tell you for the Hamonam, for the general Jewish public in this country, it's not the case. Not the case. People I'm are talking th- about for the people who, who pe- want to go to Israel people, and go regularly. People are throwing, well, that may be, that may be. Maybe those who are there two, three times a year, it makes them pine for it more. But most everyone else at this point is just throwing up their hands and giving up. And, and, and giving and, up what? As much as, as, they, as, as they can't go, but they can't go to many other places. Also, understood. they don't have grandchildren in other places. They don't. They don't have family. They're desperate to see. They don't have a grandchild. They haven't held yet. Well, they are. They did pass some regulation, or not pass, but uh, adopt that allows grandparents to come for life cycle events. Right, but first of all, not everything's a life cycle event. Some people would just like to see their newborn. And the other thing is that there that is a life cycle event. To see them, <laughs> to see grandchild, new grandchild at bris. No, I'm talking uh, about. Wedding, a, I'm talking about like a grandchild that was born 18 months ago. But but, but the but the point. <laughs> well, no, they didn't wait. <laughs> well, because they they know what it's like, and, right. and everyone knows what it's like. The pressure and the last minuteness and the you know the the feeling of desperation, and you don't know what's going to happen when you go to the airport. People have just given up. But by the way, I need to. <laughs> you know, we've harped a lot on this this week. And it's a theme that I've been talking about really for two years, but now it's really gelling. Now it's really materializing. And that is the disconnect between diaspora jury and Israel during this entire thing. And I'm surprised at this point, unless you know of somebody, I'm surprised at this point that nobody has really put together a uh, a collection of either articles or feelings or um, or testimonials from people who really can bear witness to the fact that this has affected them and their family in terms of the divide between diaspora and uh, diaspora jury and Israel. And I, um, I I think it's time for that. I think it's time. There have been, there have been a lot of articles and, uh, you know, chief rabbi of uh, South Africa, some others uh, wrote uh, very strong attacks about this, about the impact that this is having and, and uh, driving a division. I, I'm, I think that that has not been documented, but what the long-term implications are that, uh, and the um, what I hear is that people long to go to Israel. I'm not saying it doesn't have an impact, and I'm not saying it it hasn't restricted some young people who might have gone to Israel from from going this year. But I mean, they have a responsibility. Government has a responsibility. You can second guess it. You can feel it's wrong. What bothers me most is that the system is corrupt, and that people can bypass it if they have the right contact or money or other things. Ingenuity. And, that's a good word, uh, right? So if there's enough ingenuity around, they have, uh, and that affects everybody, to and it. it affects everybody else. But <laughs> excuse, excuse me, I must say one thing though. Uh, you, punishing you? <clears throat> yeah, I guess you, Malcolm Holmline, have said countless times here and in many other places over the last God knows how many decades that diaspora jury has a say in what goes on in Israel, and you've you've um, qualified that statement sometimes by saying, okay, not 100% sure that you could say that definitively, that they have a, a role or a say in what goes on in Israel, but certainly <clears throat> they have a role and a say in terms of the future of Jerusalem, right? That's a point you've always made. Now, 
the Prime Minister of Israel, served in the capacity of uh, Minister of Diaspora Affairs. He has, over the years, made interesting commitments to the diaspora, where Israel's government and and people would be there to support diaspora jury. And I just wonder if it was 20 years ago, I just wonder if we were back in the old atmosphere where Israel relied so much more on the diaspora than they do today. I wonder if this whole, well, 20 years ago, frankly, they'd be handling Corona a lot differently. But I just wonder if if um, if this whole attitude that we could shut down and keep people out and not worry about the future ramifications, I wonder if that would be uh, undertaken in the same fashion that's being done today. Um, give me speculation. I know it's hard to, to predict both the past and the future, but give me speculation. Do you think if it was decades ago when the relationship was a little different between diaspora and Israel, they and Israel would look at this whole topic differently? You know, I, I can't give you a, a good answer because I just don't know. You're, you, you, as you said, it's not only speculative, but circumstances were so different. And look at this. Israel's economy is thrive. It's the, the shekel is so strong against the dollar, right. sustained over throughout all this period, right. which would never have been the case right. in, in the period that you're referring to. Right. You know, you don't hear people aren't going hungry because of it. There, there is hunger in Israel generally, but... Um, you don't see a situation like you see in some other countries, uh, and the I think it was eighty billion dollars in in high tech um, you know uh, investments and takeovers or purchases of companies this year astounding numbers that are still uh, quite remarkable, and that the economy is able to sustain itself and sustain the military and um, people. You don't hear people in Israel complaining about. Uh, the lack of uh, basic and fundamentals. So it, it, it obviously would have been different 20 years ago in a lot of respects, and different today. About and, and I do believe that Jerusalem is different, but I but I also believe that it, while we have a right to have a say, well, ultimately the decision is the people of Israel's and the government they elect when it comes to their safety and security, which means military, but also I think in terms of their health that they're the ones who have to live with the consequences. They're the ones who have to to deal with the ramifications of the decisions that are made. And while we we have a say, and I believe that, uh, you know, it's it's in the family and should be done in the family, uh, and maybe sometimes sensitizing public officials who may look for the easy way out, which is to just to close the border rather than saying we're going to institute really strict measures and find more advanced ways of uh, of screening people. But, uh, you know, it's easy to sit on the sidelines. Every government that I know is wrestling with the same issues and the same questions, and nobody seems to have come up, not France, not England, anyone, anybody with a good answer. They're, they're still closing down uh, periodically in their borders, their schools, the, the uh, universities. Nobody so far uh, that I've seen has come up with a good answer. Well, the answer is, as we've been told for years, if you want to have a role in what's going on in Israel, um, the people who wanted that role should have moved there. I never th- 4,000 people this year, a record, made, Americans made Aliyah during COVID. Yeah. So I never thought that that attitude would prevail, but uh, hey, I've lived to see it, and that's what the attitude is. And uh, for those of us who've made that mistake, we got to live with it. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. 
Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman. <coughs> Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. By the way, I just want to wish a mazel tov uh, to uh, Rachi and Lee Niren of Elizabeth, whose son Shimon's Ufruf, an upcoming marriage to Michaela Kimmel is happening. And a special shout-out to the grandparents, Miriam and Lenny Holstuck, who are likely listening right now. And we wish them a very special mazel tov. By the way, what do you think when... The foreign, <coughs> what do you think when the foreign minister of Israel supports an Iran deal? And is it smart for the foreign minister of Israel to do so publicly? So I don't think he's supporting the Iran deal. I don't think that is the position of the government of Israel. Clearly, that was not the message given to uh, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. It was not the, the message given to Blinken and others. Uh, Israel's opposition remains clear. Um, it, Sullivan said that he believes the end of the talks could come in, in, in a couple of weeks and then and offered three options, uh, a new sanctions and a tough position, a freeze for a freeze, meaning that they freeze where they're at, we freeze where we're at, or which is a less for less, I think, and um, or that they um, take the total deal and uh, move ahead with it. So uh, full implementation, that does not seem to be the case. It doesn't seem to be what Iran uh, is interested in uh, uh, doing. Uh, By the way, the the reports that Israel, its prime minister was denied a phone call with Biden for three months um, has been clearly repudiated by the prime minister's uh, uh, office. How'd that rumor start? Because everybody picks up something. It could be that somebody said, you know, we haven't had a discussion in three months. The next guy said, you know, Israel's been trying to talk to him for three months. And But but when you look at the record, Blinken has been there. Um, Ambassador Thomas Greenfield was there. And people are going all the time from Israel. McGurk has gone to uh, Austin, the Secretary of of, um, uh, 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 of Defense, and, and many others. I mean, there's a constant stream of uh, of exchanges there and here, where uh, Gantz has been here many times, and others uh, coming on a fairly regular uh, basis. So we'll have to see what uh, the, the where the talks go. Right now, there's no evidence that that they're going to move ahead. I believe that is there's still a chance the Iranians will um, try to come out with some sort of a compromise deal. They're buying time all the time that they're enriching at a faster and faster speed and, um, with new and, and much more advanced uh, centrifuges, which means that it produces it faster at a higher degree. They're building up stockpiles. They are um, training their, their troops for any kind of activities. I do not believe they have the capacity that they are uh, advertising that people think. It's it's an important country, a powerful country, but... I think the um, the options are there to do whatever is deemed to be necessary in order to um, to stop this program. We cannot allow it to go hot. Once it's hot, it's too late to strike because then you spread the nuclear um, uh, uh, fallout would be very very great. You know, so, with all yeah. the discussions we've had about about the potential strike, and obviously it's a topic for God knows how many years and decades here already. I think only recently, only I think only a few weeks ago, you revealed to us that uh, that piece of it, 
that that it's 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 too late to strike not only because they'll have what they need in order to strike themselves it's too late to strike because if you do damage to the facility god knows how much other residual damage will be done and i didn't realize that and it's a uh, it's a really scary proposition frankly it is indeed and the you know in the middle east there's you know a cloud of the uh, of the uranium dust can travel a long distance yeah and i'm sure um all right before i turn it over to you just to update us on whatever else you'd like to uh Brief us on. Just give, give me give me a word about the Chomesh situation. Uh, I get it was part of the disengagement. I get that there has been a yeshiva there on and off for the last fifteen years. But in 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 light of uh, of the murder of um, a member of the Dimitman family, I, I always think this is one of the most effective strategies, and that is to look the other way and let people build uh, to show the enemy what we're ready to do or what our sons and daughters are ready to do in Israel. Um, if in fact terror continues with this prime minister i would think he comes from that type of political background where he understands the importance of leaving a yeshiva there on the spot what are your feelings with thousands of people protesting what the israeli government wants to do well first of all we have to take note of the fact that there have been a series of attacks this is a very brutal one where they fired on the, on the car 15 bullet holes were found in the car uh, and this young man who has a, a little baby um, uh, killed, uh, doing nothing but learning and going home for for lunch. The um, and and there has to be some sort of demonstrative act. I think the march was very moving and the, the tefillot and everything that that uh, accompanied it. And yet, you know, the world focuses on what that he's a settler. Right. They don't say this is a human being. This is a person. It's a settler because that already dismisses it. That diminishes the seriousness of of the crime. And you know that the the Palestinians uh, have built about 72,000 illegal buildings. They've taken 23,000 acres of, of agricultural land, uh, which is in, in, in a state-owned land or state-controlled land. Right. And yet the world doesn't condemn the thousands of illegal <laughs> buildings that they're building in the Area C and an area under full Israeli control. And the, you know, the demonization of, of settlers, which justifies their murder because, you know, they shouldn't be there, is the attitude, is really horrific. And there has to be both the destruction of the houses, I think, has value. It sends an important message that, you know, you're, you're not only are you going to pay a price, but your family will pay a price. And the reverse happens because the pay to slay is still in effect. People don't know it, but... Palestinian Authority continues to pay the families of the murderers, including people who killed, um, who were involved in this killing and in the recent ones. They get paid, their family, or if they're not alive, their, their families get paid. Right. So it's, it's horrific, that, and the media coverage is so distorted and it's so unsympathetic to the, to the Jewish victims. Malcolm, as I often say to my guests, anything else you'd like to add in this update? Well, first of all, I do see that Secretary Blinken has been reaching out to Indonesia about uh, possible relationships with Israel and that there are other countries are still, despite all that's going on, the signing of the deal between um, Jordan, UAE, and Israel, both for water and electricity, could have profound impact in the region. Um, the relationship with Egypt improving and working together on economic and other matters, and especially about uh, Gaza, uh, 
they're very positive things in what the, the king in Jordan and in Egypt and even in in the Gulf countries looking and and reestablishing their Jewish heritage sites and seeking out uh, places that uh, President Sisi is rebuilding some of the old synagogues as did the king of Morocco and instituting um, educational courses about the history of their Jewish communities. So it's the only place, you know, while we see anti-Semitism rampant all over the world, the only place it's been diminishing is in those countries. And the other thing is that we saw that Illinois uh, Investment Authority took action against Ben and & Jerry's, and it's now uh, and seven state treasurers have written to to, his, to um, Unilever saying that they're violating their fiduciary responsibility by allowing uh, the company to be damaged with uh, so many hundreds of millions of dollars of investments being canceled by um, states and others. So, uh, you know, we have to keep the pressure on them because it's become such a high-profile issue and to to show that you can't get away when you want to discriminate and act against Jews. Malcolm, I thank you. Hopefully we'll both sound better next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us. Lots of tea. Yes, to say the least, man. And by the way, thanks to all the listeners who've tossed in recommendations on the app and through email about what needs to be done to get my voice back into shape. Even after 38 years, it's much appreciated, and I think I've been told every type of recipe over the last 38 years. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM and the AM.